Friends, I've entitled this sermon today, The Righteous Judgment of a Holy God. You know, when we talk about the idea of judgment, particularly in today's world, many people want to just dismiss judgment altogether very quickly. Now, why would that be so? You know, the world would dismiss judgment quickly because the world dismisses God quickly. And if you can get rid of the idea of God, you can get rid of the idea of judgment. But how about the church? You know, many churches don't even talk about the judgment of God. Why would that be the case? Well, friends, many times I think churches don't have a proper view of what sin is before a holy God, so they just don't talk about the subject. But friends, I want you to stare down and look at the text that we've read this morning from 2 Thessalonians 1. Because based on a text like this, not only does the Bible speak of judgment, but it speaks of an upcoming and an undeniable righteous judgment of a holy God. Friends, there's three things I want you to see from this text today from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. First of all, I want you to see what the Bible calls the evidence and the purpose of righteous judgment. Secondly, you can see God's considerations. And then third and finally, I want you to see the righteous and the holy judge. Feel free to use the back of your bulletin. I have those three points mainly outlined on the back for you. But let's dive into God's word this morning. And first of all, look at that first point. The evidence and the purpose of righteous judgment. Look again with me at verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which... You were also suffering. The first point Paul makes is he talks about evidence for an upcoming righteous judgment. Friends, do you remember last week when we talked about verses 3 and 4 of this text? Verse 4 kind of zoomed in and it focused on what we called a steadfast endurance that these Thessalonians had in the midst of suffering. That they were faithful to God. While persecution and affliction came, they were steadfast, they were unmovable in their faith. Well, friends, it's that steadfast faith that Paul's talking about here in verse 5. You see the first word of verse 5. It's the word this. Well, what is the this? The this is their enduring faith, their steadfastness in the in the midst of persecution. So what Paul is saying here when he says this, he's saying that their steadfast faith during persecution, that that is the evidence that the righteous judgment of God is coming. So let's talk about maybe what, what that means behind that. You see, friends, what Paul is saying, that since there is persecution going on, to the faithful people of God. The Bible says that this implies that injustice is being done. And since God is a just God, God teaches us that one day 
all injustices are going to be corrected because God is a holy and a just God. You know, this same type of conversation was going on in Psalm 10. If you read Psalm 10 at the very beginning, the psalmist is wondering, God, where are you? Why aren't you responding uh, maybe to some of the injustices, some of the persecutions that are going on? The opening verse of Psalm 10 says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Yet by the end of that psalm, and I encourage you to go and look at it, verses 17 and 18, there's a response. The psalmist says, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and to the oppressed, so that man who is on earth may strike terror no more. Simply put, friends, what the Bible is saying is that the persecution of believers and the injustice that that produces, friends, it's an evidence that God's righteous judgment is coming because God is a just God. He will make all things right. But secondly, this text talks about the purpose of the judgment of God. You see it in verse 5. Because as verse 5 continues, it says that the purpose of righteous judgment is to show that God Yes, he has redeemed a people to himself, and those people have proved to be faithful and steadfast even while suffering. Now, friends, let's all remind ourselves of the gospel truth that we can't justify ourselves, we can't make ourselves righteous. As Christians, the righteousness that we have does not come from us, but it's been imputed to us by Jesus Christ. He's imputed to us His righteousness. And we receive that gift of His righteousness by grace through faith. But God has called believers to be faithful to Him. To be steadfast to Him. You see the steadfastness and endurance that believers show in their lives. The Bible says that's an indication that we really have been saved by grace through faith. Let's remember what we learned in James. Works are not the root of our salvation, but they are the fruit of our salvation. That's what this text is saying. So verse 5 is saying that Christians are considered worthy of the kingdom of God. So we see the purpose of righteous judgment. That is, God has chosen to redeem himself a people. A people that's been washed in the blood of the Lamb. A people that while suffering will endure with faithfulness to the very very end. That's why the text says believers are considered worthy of God's kingdom because only Christ has made them worthy by his blood and their steadfastness, their endurance under persecution. It's an indication, yes, they really know God and yes, there really will be a righteous judgment that is coming. Well, friends, now that we've seen the evidence and the purpose of judgment, let's look at that second point, God's considerations. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. 
Since indeed God considers. What does he consider? Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Friends, what does God consider to be just? Two things according to this text. Number one, to repay with affliction. And number two, to grant relief. To repay with affliction and to grant relief. Now, let's take a moment and talk about what I'm going to call a role reversal. That the roles that certain groups have on earth are going to be reversed one day. Here's what I mean. Here on earth, according to this text, the persecutors... In this text, have relief. And the Christians in this text, they have affliction. So the first thing I want you to note is that one day, God is going to completely reverse those roles. There is a day coming when those who are persecuted, they're going to have relief. And there's a day coming when those who have Relief right now, the Bible says, they will be afflicted. It will be a complete role reversal. Jesus said it this way. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And you know, when we think about this this whole idea of, of reversal, particularly for the believers here in this text, they're suffering, they're being afflicted, yes, But one day, there's going to be a reversal when Jesus comes back and they're going to be handed relief. I want you to think about the life of Christ and what Christ did for us. You see, in Jesus' first advent, he came as the suffering Lamb of God. He came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Friends, at the very beginning in his first advent, Jesus was suffering. But what about his second advent, which this text is talking about? When Jesus comes back, it's no longer the suffering lamb, but it's the triumphant lion. Yes, the powerful triumphant lion who conquers and conquers all So even this idea of role reversal applies to Christ. So you see, friends, a connection to believers and their Savior in this text. Because just as Jesus had to suffer first, he's called believers to suffer before they enter into relief. You see, when Jesus comes back, the Bible clearly says... The people who are currently living in relief, but handing out the persecution, those people will be paid, repaid with affliction from a holy and righteous God. But those Christians, those Christians who have been suffering under the hand of persecution, they will no longer suffer. They will enter into God's relief and to his rest. Remember, friends, what Peter said about this in 1 Peter 4. He said, To to believers, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when when it comes upon you to test you 
as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when uh, His glory is revealed. Friends, do you hear what Peter tells suffering Christians? Those who are undergoing even injustice, rejoice insofar as you share with Christ in His sufferings, that you also may rejoice one day and be glad when His glory is revealed. Friends, Jesus is coming back. And there's going to be this role reversal. So let's go now to that final point. The righteous and the holy judge. Look at verses 7 through 10 with me one more time. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels... Listen closely to this description. Inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because their testimony to you was believed. Friends, when is this role reversal going to happen? When will the afflicted have relief? When will the persecutors be afflicted? The Bible says it will happen on the day when the righteous and holy judge returns. And who is this righteous and holy judge? It is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said in John 5. He says, for the, for the Father judges no one, but He has given all judgment to the Son. It's the Son of God, King Jesus, who is our righteous judge. Just a few moments ago, Pastor Darrell stood at this pulpit and he read that beautiful text from 1 Thessalonians 4. A text we read a couple months ago talking about the descent, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we were able to be encouraged again by that beautiful text. Friends, our text today adds to the description of what Daryl read a few moments ago. Verse 7 says, when Jesus comes back, He's going to come from heaven. And that speaks of His exalted status. It says when he comes back in verse 7, he's going to come with his mighty angels. Friends, that teaches us about his power. Verse 8 says when he comes back, he's going to come in flaming fire. Friends, fire reminds us of the presence of God. It reminds you of Exodus chapter 3 and Moses standing before a blazing fiery bush when God speaks to him. It reminds you of Exodus 13 when God as a fire at night led Israel out of Egypt. And we look closely at this text and we say, what is the purpose of Jesus' coming? Why is he coming back? Friends, we find the reasons in this text. Verse 8 tells us the first reason. Jesus, the righteous judge, is coming back, number one, to inflict vengeance. 
to inflict vengeance on those who don't know God. But secondly, he's coming back, according to this text, for believers to be granted relief and for God to be glorified and marveled by those who believe. Simply put, he's coming back for the role reversal. Let's talk about these two things. First of all, he's coming back to inflict vengeance on those who don't know God. Friends, the Bible is very clear. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he says there will be a separation between the sheep and the goat, the wheat and the tare. And because he is the righteous judge, to those who don't know the Lord, the Bible says they will be handed over to eternal destruction, away from the presence of God. In this specific case, in 2 Thessalonians, it means the persecutions are going to be repaid with affliction. The persecutors, that is, will be repaid with afflictions. Because I want you to know something. Let's, remind, let's be reminded of what we learned a few months ago about hell. You see, in hell, there is only weeping and torment and gnashing of teeth. And the Bible says once you're in hell, you can't be delivered from that torment because God's saving grace is gone forever. It will be worse than any earthly maximum security prison for God's judgment has caused a separation between heaven and hell to be so vast there is no way of escape. You see, as the text says in verse 6, the righteous judge, our Lord Jesus Christ, considers it just. To repay with affliction. But dear friends. For those who know the Lord. For those who follow hard after Christ. This text says. While there might be a time of suffering now. While persecution might be intense. Right now. One day. That's going to be completely reversed. You see. The second purpose, this text says, of Jesus' coming is to grant relief to the believer and for God to be glorified and for us to marvel at what He has done. What this text is saying is that, hey, for the persecuted church, sorrow, it's lasting for the night, but guess what? Joy is coming in the morning. Because in Christ, all things become new. And it's a reminder for all of us as believers, guess what? This earth is not our home. It's not our home. We have a heavenly citizenship. So that while there, right now there is suffering, hold on, endure, be steadfast, because the righteous judge is coming. And he's going to grant relief even for the persecuted Church, here's what Romans says. God says, for it is written, vengeance is mine. God says, I will repay, says the Lord. Well, friends, what does this teach us? It teaches us that Jesus is the one handing out vengeance. And since Jesus is the one handing out vengeance, that means Jesus is the Lord, which ultimately means Jesus is fully and completely God. Make no mistake about it. Jesus isn't part God or half God or three-fourths God. Jesus is completely 100% God. The Bible is clear. 
And it says over and over that vengeance belongs to the Lord. But when Christ returns, He's coming to give relief. He's coming to give His people this beautiful gift of heaven. And as we described hell just a moment ago, let's hear the reversal of that. Let's hear what God has in store for believers in heaven. Because heaven is a place where we will not experience any type of mourning or crying or pain. There's going to be no more cancer, no more surgeries, no more coronavirus, no more wearing masks. There's going to be no more injustices because God is a good and right God. There's going to be no more back pain or leg pain, no more loss of eyesight or hearing, no more glasses. There's going to be no more anxiety or worry, no more mental illness, no more sleepless nights. Guess what? In heaven, friends, there's no more hospitals. There's no hospice centers. There's no morgues or obituaries or funeral homes or cemeteries. Guess what? There's no Kleenex boxes. Because Jesus says he's going to wipe away every single tear. You see, friends, the one who sits on the throne, Jesus Christ, he has an announcement. He's making all things new. He's making all things new. And that the suffering that we endure on this side of glory, it's nothing compared to what's going to be revealed when Christ comes back. And we, as God's people, this text says, will stand and give God the glory. And we will marvel. We will marvel at what He has done for us. Dear friend, today, in conclusion, I hope that there's many things that you can take away from this text. I want you to know that this world is going to try to remove the whole idea of judgment from your mind and from your heart. They're going to try to take away God and downplay sin. But this text teaches us about the righteous judgment of a holy God. I want you to know that God is a God. A God who will take all wrong, all injustices, and one day He will make them right. So if you find yourself like the Thessalonians, suffering for any type of injustice, I want you to be encouraged and hear the words that Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2. He said, For, for, this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Friends, that's the response of a believer, to entrust yourself completely, continually to a God who judges justly. Though sorrow might last for the night, joy will come in the morning. Friends, secondly, I want you to remember, here on earth, persecutors have relief. But for many believers, 
there's suffering. But one day, there's going to be a role reversal. Why? Because the earth is not her home. God considers it just to grant relief to the persecuted and affliction to the persecutors. And when is this going to happen? At the return of the king. At his second coming. He is the exalted one who is coming with power and fire. And God has given all judgment unto the Son. He is the one who will separate the sheep and the goat. My friend, my question for you at the, at the end of this sermon today is on that day, where will you be? When the righteous judge judges justly, where will you be? Friends, if you find yourself today not knowing Jesus, if you find yourself on the wrong side of the answer to that question, I want you to know, friend, today it's not too late. Today, you can seek the Lord while he may be found. Today, you can have your sins forgiven by our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, you can be declared righteous, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. Listen, God has demonstrated his love to you in this, that while you and I were sinners, Christ came and he died for us. God says this is love, not that we love Christ, but that he loved us, that he gave himself as a propitiation for all of our sins. What's the way to God? It's Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Come to Christ by grace through faith. That you may be found faithful. That you might endure to the very end. And that God would take you from a place as these Christians were here in Second Thessalonians. A place of suffering, even affliction. And God will give you relief. God will give you the joys of heaven. The gospel is open to you today. If any of that is confusing, if you'd like to talk about that anymore, please ask me. I'd love to have this conversation with you. More than anything else today, dear friend, I want you to know Christ so that you can enjoy the beauty, the goodness of heaven, what we talked about this morning. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, texts like these... Sometimes are very, very tough. But Lord, you've called us to preach the whole counsel of God, not part of it, but all of it. And Lord, as we wrestle with what is sometimes considered a difficult text, I pray that you would work in our hearts and minds that, um, that we might uh, examine who the righteous judge is, that we might examine what is in stake for us in our future, Father, for it is undeniable that you are coming back. And you are not coming as that uh, lamb to die on the cross for our sins again. You've already done that. You're coming as the triumphant lion. You're coming back as our judge, King Jesus. Let us be mindful of that truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.